Hello, and thank you for listening to Let the Right Films In, a podcast on which we talk about movies. And one of those people who talks about movies is me, your host, Tyler Hannon, and my co-host, who loves this intro, is Kayla Sadaj. It's the best intro we've ever done. Hello. <laughs> it is the best intro I've done today. <laughs> that is true. Today we have a back-to-school double feature with Election and Brick. But first, we're going to talk about a few things we've watched recently. Kayla, what have you watched recently? The two movies we needed to watch for this podcast. And, no, just kidding. <laughs> so. I recently rewatched the movie A Star is Born, but the version from last year, not the version from any of the other years, okay. uh, starring Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. And gosh darn it, is that a good movie? I remember when the press tour for this movie started, or maybe not even the press tour, but the uh, the, the preliminary press reaction. Were we loading up the hype train? Like people were starting well, to get on board? Okay, and- so here's the thing. When the movie was announced, everybody was like, Bradley Cooper's doing what? And until the trailer dropped, I remember very much feeling like it was either going to be an amazing movie or a complete train wreck. And I really didn't know what to think. And everything that was happening around it was so confusing because like, I love Lady Gaga and I've loved Lady Gaga since I was in high school. I think that she is a visionary and an icon and that she could pretty much do anything she puts her mind to, like I'm not gonna lie. So I was really on board with that. Bradley Cooper's fine. Bradley Cooper directing this movie as his first special big boy project is still a little weird to me, but that's also fine. But I remember when the trailer dropped and I think we watched it together here because I saw it and I was like, you have to see this trailer. It's really good. And it was just kind of a relief to know that it wasn't going to be a disaster. Not that I had like any stake or personal issue with it. It's just, I love Lady Gaga and I want her to succeed and be in good things and I wasn't sure how it was going to go. But yeah, um, if you haven't seen this movie yet... um, You're probably me, because I'm the only one. That's it, yeah. It's really good. Uh, Bradley Cooper is really interesting in this movie, and I think he does a pretty good job as a director. Lady Gaga is a revelation in that you never are... Or at least for me, I was never thinking about her as Lady Gaga, the super pop star the entire time. Like She brings such a natural ease to acting as this character that you fully believe in her as the character you believe in her journey and their journey together i really feel like the only thing that this movie suffers from is that it is too much about bradley cooper's character and i think that is a fundamental misunderstanding of all of the various source materials for this movie because it is about a star being born it is about a young ingenue you know, kind of coming into this old guy's life and changing his thoughts and, you know, eventually surpassing him and being the star where he is not anymore. And when you have such insane powerhouse star making performances in it, the, the role that Lady Gaga plays has been inhabited by Judy Garland, by Barbara Streisand. Those versions of those movies are about Judy Garland and about Barbara Streisand. And this movie is never really about Allie. She's there and she is getting what she wants and achieving her dreams. But at the end of the day, the movie is about 
how Bradley Cooper's character Jackson Maine is a sad, broken man. And I think that with a little bit more of a balancing act, it could have been a truly perfect movie. And not, and this is again, not to say that it's, it is still an incredible movie. It makes me feel a lot of things and I cry a lot at the end and I get really emotional during the big Allie steps up to the mic for the first time scene that you have heard and seen memed and whatever. It, it is a genuinely moving and incredible film that is not perfect, which is, I guess, like the weirdest endorsement you can give of something. But rewatching it for the first time since I saw it in theaters really solidified it as like, this is just great. Like, I don't know. It's it's nice to have a movie. Like, yes, it's a remake of a remake of a remake, but it's nice to have a movie where like it exists in its own world. It exists as this singular standalone story and you can kind of just inhabit it and go along for the ride with these characters without necessarily needing to know all of this backstory or having all these preconceived notions and the soundtrack fucking slaps. I don't know. It's good music. I love it. I love music and I love musicals. So if you haven't seen it, you should probably watch it. And if you were on the fence about it, because Lady Gaga or Bradley Cooper or whatever, like they inhabit these characters in a way that you truly are not thinking about them as the people that they are in real life, which I think is an achievement for two people who have such name and face and preconceived notions surrounding them. <laughs> That's got, the only movie that I've watched recently. <laughs> I gotta say, Kayla, what has me really excited is everything you said about how, like, we weren't sure about the movie at first, but it was revealed to be this, you know, really, like, great cinematic experience with a soundtrack that slaps, with a star-making turn by a, uh, an artist really embodying the character. I just think we'll be saying all these same things next year about Cats. I hope so. Here's the thing. Like, I love musicals. And I actually would really love for Cats to turn out to be, like, super cool. I am so into that possibility. But, yeah, I don't know. I also have a really funny story that I just remembered about A Star is Born in which I went to see it with my friends Maddie and Patricia. And it was still so early in its uh, wide theater run that we had to sit in the second row. And the theater was totally full. And I snuck an entire bottle of wine and uh, three wine glasses in in my backpack. Not like stemmed wine glasses, like plastic cups that were the size of wine glasses. But still, I find this very impressive. And so I uncorked the bottle of wine and we shared a bottle of wine in the second row of the movie theater alone in a full theater. And it was amazing. So it's like kind of honestly a really good wine mom movie now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> so what we're in, we're endorsing creating your own like Alamo Drafthouse experience yeah. in states where there is no Alamo Drafthouse. Yeah, I also think moms love this movie and that's why the soundtrack was the top selling album of the country until like last week. Moms and also our uh, frequent guest Patrick Haynes, who it was his 2018 movie last yeah. year. And he will that's be funny. aghast if I tell him that I still haven't seen it. Ugh. I hope he's listening. Hi, Pat. <laughs> Come on the podcast again soon. But yeah, so uh, Tyler, what have you watched recently? Uh, well, Kayla, I have watched movies of similar subject matter, I believe. Um, they involve star turns from adored actresses. That's how I would describe Lady Gaga, an adored actress. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and that's how I would also describe uh, <laughs> Samara Weaving in Ready or Not. 
So Ready or Not came out recently. It is maybe one of the last Fox Searchlight movies. And what's been really cool with this movie is that a horror movie with like an original concept, you know, more or less. Like, yes, it has. (laughs) It's based on a game. Much like Truth or Dare, uh, the Blumhouse classic was, <laughs> but it like just this movie coming in out in late August and really surprising a lot of people and doing pretty well, making a nice little profit for itself. Uh, it's let's see, how would I describe this? A romp. It is a romp, Kayla. Uh, it can be really funny, although it's not like you know subverting the genre at all or anything. It is like a great genre exercise that is just very satisfyingly executed uh samara weaving is a badass in like this torn off wedding dress I guess slight spoilers but the basic concept is she has to play hide or seek with her new family on her wedding night and they're trying to kill her this is fully uh, what i expect my wedding to be like so i'm very excited for that <laughs> by the way so she has to survive and so it involves a lot of fun stuff in you know her running around this house, hiding, doing her best to survive. Uh, and ultimately, uh, the movie, this isn't spoiling anything, but it's about how kind of rich people are terrible and have lost their humanity in the pursuit of wealth and the preservation of wealth. Uh, which, you know, that's just great content, you know? A big fan. I'm really struggling because at the top of this, you said it was the last Fox Searchlight picture, and I guess that hadn't One really... the last, possibly. Well, I guess I just... It hadn't quite clicked for me that that was an implication of Disney purchasing Fox. And now I am sad. See, there are no guarantees in this life, Kayla. So, like, there's no guarantee that this is, like, one of the last Fox Fox Searchlight pictures. But there's also no guarantee that there will ever be another Fox Searchlight picture. I can't stress how bad it is that one company owns all of entertainment. Okay, what's the other movie you watched? Right, like, honestly, I was shocked that this was a Fox Searchlight picture because I just kind of assumed it was Blumhouse. Because who else would make, like, a... Well, like, who else would make a splashy horror movie like this for a moderate budget? Like, over $5 million. God, that's so depressing. <laughs> right. Like, we don't really like the term elevated horror, but, like, other than uh, stuff that, like, existing IP, like Stephen King things or whatever, or A24, elevated horror, Prestige, or whatever, yeah. Or, like, the James Wanaverse, like... Who, especially from directors that aren't that have worked but aren't really known, like uh, the this uh, collective did some Southbound segments and mm-hmm. VHS. Like, who would make? I, I don't know how much it costs, but let's say like a five million dollar movie besides Blumhouse, like this. Fox. Apparently, right? apparently not even Blumhouse anymore. But <laughs> yeah, wow, the implications. Much to consider. But basically, Samara, like, rich people suck. Samara Weaving is a star. Uh, It's just, uh, it's got some really fun uh, bloody horror moments. And I, without giving, like, legitimately not giving anything away, I really enjoy the ending. Maybe when I'm really depressed in the UK, I'll just see if this is, like, playing anywhere and go see it by myself. Like, it just, it's, like, it just feels like a really, like... What's the best way to put this? It feels like uh, a team really going for it, having a really good handle on the, the on the just piece of entertainment that they're making, and yeah, it's it's a good time. It, Kayla, it is a good gosh darn time at the old cinema theater. So I hear. And uh, you haven't seen it. 
I have. I really am jealous. I really want to see it. Uh, and you know what? I am all in on this expanding universe of just Samara weaving brutally, mur- brutally murdering rich people. Sorry, uh, I just looked up movie times at a movie theater in the place I'm going to be in the United Kingdom, and the three movies currently playing at this movie theater <laughs> are Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Your Faith, Dora in the Lost City of Gold, and one 8 p.m. showing of The Mustang. Wait, that's that's not even. It's been out for so long. I don't know. It must be just like a special screening that they're doing. So like, there are two movie. This this theater shows two movies. Yeah. Right. Okay, the other one looks more normal. Oh my god. Okay, sorry. I just that was so bizarre. I was like, why the Mustang? Wait, that that was out like over the summer. That wasn't even this year. I don't think was it or was it. I, I'm trying to remember. I thought the Mustang was uh, like a dar- indie darling from a couple years ago. No, 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 nope. no, no. You're thinking of Mustang, which okay. is a different movie, but the yes, Mustang. No, it was. It came out around the same time as Avengers because we went and saw Avengers, mm-hmm. and the poster was there, and it had like a random, wow. silly review okay. tagline in it on I the poster, see. and we were all making fun of it. That doesn't sound like us. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, yeah. I don't see, these know. are the kind of tangents we go on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know what the Mustang is, but you should probably support it. I think it's about, about people cinema. in. I think it's about people in prison making bonds with horses. Oh, that's right. I have seen that trailer. Yeah. It sounds great for you, horses. Uh, I want to talk about like I want movies with girls and horses. What about prison reform and horses? I mean, that's also good, and I. I think that's a good idea. Directed by a woman. Also I good. I only know because I just looked it up. But I want to see a happy horse girl movie. Okay. <laughs> I'm thinking that my horse movies have been limited to like that Lean on Pete, which I don't really know anything about, but everybody said it was really devastating, so I haven't watched it. <laughs> 12 Strong, the subtitle about- 12 Strong Horse Rangers. Boys, yes. yes. <laughs> 12 Strong Horse <laughs> That's Boys. what I have called that movie. They actually With, like, changed- the weirdly star-studded cast. No, they actually- So it was called, It was like 12 Strong, the, the declassified mm. story of the Benghazi horse soldiers or some shit like that. Yeah. And they <laughs> changed it. After it was too confusing, it is now only called 12 Strong. So I would like to think that through my phone listening to me and me making fun of it at every given opportunity on this podcast that they heard and specifically changed it because I kept calling it 12 Strong Horse Boy. Oh, see, I thought you were hoping that <laughs> by like sheer force of your will, you would change the title yet again. On VOD, to I mean, Strong Horse Boys. <laughs> I think Edge of Tomorrow is still getting a new title every year, so but, we could get it changed to 12 Strong Horse Well, Boys. I mean, the sequel is Live, Die, Repeat, and Repeat. Is it getting a sequel? Yeah, yeah it is. And they're going to call it Live, Die, Repeat, and Repeat. Yeah, they are. Wow, that's a really bad title. Okay. What? What's the other movie that you watched recently? I wonder how many periods will be in that title. It's we like are live, off. period, die, period, repeat, period. Oh, I was talking about... I, I did finish talking about Ready or Not. Yes, first. you did, which is why I would like you to talk about the other movie. Yes. I'm so that was actually entirely my fault, but it was too I couldn't. It was too good to not say anything. Also, by the time this episode comes out, we'll be like at under well under sixty days to Halloween. It is currently sixty four days to Halloween. It was sixty nine on August twenty third. I know this because it was sixty nine and also because nice. Taylor Swift's album came out that day. So when people listen to this, it'll be even less than sixty-three days to Halloween. Yeah, we're which doing means a that really we'll be well job. in the middle of a Halloween watchathon. 
Timely. Timely. That's what this is. We're doing a really good job because we're recording this in advance before I travel forever. Heck yeah, we are. Okay, so the other movie I watched is, uh, I just, I haven't watched something on Shudder in a bit. So I looked for something new, and I watched Hell Knight, a slasher starring Linda Blair from 1981. And I guess... What I ultimately came away from Hell Knight thinking was pretty good. Uh, I actually, I really like, I think, like, whoever made it, I forgot the name of the director, but it's a, I mean, it's a very capable slasher. I actually, like, enjoy the characters quite a bit, and I think the suspense is pretty good, but then the main problem with it is one very forgettable slasher villain. Like, holy cow. (laughs) Super forgettable. And... They have these great, clever ideas or, like, really cool shots in mind. And the things they do to get there are sometimes just bafflingly dumb. Like, not even character decisions, just Mm. weird stuff where I'm just, like, totally takes me out of the movie and kind of brings down the fact that I think it's, like, I felt like it was a little bit more willing to be suspenseful or spend some time with the characters who I actually kind of enjoyed uh, and ultimately ended up being, it's fine. Pretty decent slash movie from 1981 starring Linda Blair. Actually, I really like the like second, like the fourth bill person, the second actress in there, but she basically never worked again. So it was a bummer. That's I thought she the was worst. quite. A, I like. I, I'm like, oh, like she has like was just had this spark of life and seemed really entertaining. So I was like, it's a bummer she didn't work again. But you know what? Maybe that was for the best. <laughs> Not. Uh, you know, it might have been the right decision for her. As you know, Hollywood in the 80s was really awesome and good for women. So <laughs> I'm sure it was totally just because she didn't feel like it. <laughs> That's what I'm like, for the viewers, at least, it's a bummer she got out of the movie business. But you know what? Maybe for her, it was a good thing to get out of the movie business. Not even like that anything terrible happened, but just like, you know. You never know. Right. You never know. Sometimes you gotta, you gotta switch it up career-wise. Yeah. Was, yeah. So that was, it was fine. It was a good and entertaining time on Shudder. Which is the best we can hope for. Yes. Got to get in that Shudder promo. (laughs) I didn't, you know, I should have talked. It's too late now. We can't go back. But I should have talked about Midnight Meat Train. But you know what? Halloween's coming up. It's much more fun to watch Midnight Meat Train. Yeah. (laughs) Midnight Meat Train is a real relic of literally the only year it could have been made. Both that weird-ass movie based on a... Clive Barker's short story starring Bradley Cooper. And Leslie Bibb, yeah, of all people. I, Bradley Cooper was not a star yet. Like, The Hangover was about to happen. But I'm still like, you've been working for a while, buddy. And I'm glad you did this. I don't understand how you did this. Yeah. Because this is not, like, star turn that really shows a like. It is a weird and gross-ass movie I just, that I okay. had a good guy. I only talked about one movie, so I just have one question that we can spend like a minute or two. Oh, on. yeah. What the minutes. fuck is this movie about? <laughs> like, Okay, uh, so... Just like what I mean, is, do you want like the full what is plot? What is the quick, quickest way to explain this movie as it is called The Midnight Meat Train? Okay, I can give... Uh, as long as you're fine with me spoiling yeah, the care. final twist. I don't care. Okay, so The Midnight Meat Train is about... <laughs> An aspiring photographer trying to capture the dirty, gross parts of New York City. Bradley Cooper. Yeah, that's really not difficult, so... Okay. (laughs) A woman he takes a photograph of disappears on the midnight train. Mm -hmm. Like the last train. Uh, He starts investigating it and finds this big mute man who is murdering people, people with meat maulers and stuff on the train. 
pulling out their nail, like taking off all the extraneous parts of their body, hanging them up on meat hooks and, you know, just shipping them off to be meat or whatever. Uh, he decides to investigate this himself. And also there's something going on with his brain. We later find out that uh, the midnight meat train that runs every night and has this mute man supplying all the meat uh, is to feed the lizard people who live on New York City <laughs> so that they do not come up and murder us. Every sentence of that was crazier than the last sentence of what you just said. And now said. through some kind of ritual that left a mark on Bradley Cooper's chest... Because the old guy was, like, you know, starting to slip, Bradley Cooper is now replacing him. And so they kill his girlfriend, rip out his tongue, he slicks his hair back, and now he runs the Midnight Me train. What? So can you see why I'm confused why Bradley Cooper took this role? I'm trying not to yell into the mic too much, but what? (laughs) Oh my god. I feel like you could have told me anything you could have told me that i know you wanted the short description but i wanted to like string out the lizard people just, part for as long as possible I just, you could have told me that the midnight me train was literally about anything and i probably would have believed you but i would have ne- like that was like mad libs <laughs> the lizard people <laughs> the lizard people the movie so and- it's like kind of like the santa claus meets cabin in the woods <laughs> meets like- the movie ends with Bradley Cooper and his girlfriend riding the train all the way to the end because he got in his head that he was going to take down the uh, the butcher. And uh, they get there and this guy just walks up, the conductor, who's just like some weirdo. And he's like, uh, please get out of the way of the meat. Um, he's clearly not human or whatever. And then lizard people come on the train and drag off the meat and start chowing down. Bradley Cooper faces off with the butcher, kills the butcher, and the conductor's like, ha ha, now you're the butcher now, and stabs his girlfriend. And now Bradley Cooper's like, I'm the butcher now, except he doesn't have a tongue, so he can't. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's very Clive Barker, I guess. I was like, yeah, of course he puts things on hooks. That's very Clive Barker. Wow. It's a midnight, like... It is literally a midnight meat train. It is a midnight train delivering meat to the lizard people. What about this confuses you? I am truly speechless about this. Wow. Uh, Uh, Yeah. Okay. I never finished this movie before because I thought it was going to be dumb mid-2000s splatter gore, like, you know, Saw ripoff or whatever. And it's not not that. Like, there are a couple moments of, like digital blood splatter that are just like oh i have to ask 2005 huh i have to ask ben if he's seen this <laughs> this is like a quintessential like ben would watch this at 2 oh, p.m so in the afternoon though. it's, it's so really gross. gross so he probably wouldn't get to that he probably wouldn't even he'd probably turn it off he wouldn't get to the lizard people like they're like i mean so like there's the kind of cringy mid-2000s digital blood splatter stuff that's terrible or like an eye that goes flying at the camera as if it's in 3d I don't think it was, but there is like some practical stuff that's just like methodically ripping out teeth and the nails and cutting out tongues and stuff. That's like really gross. And, you know, uh, butchered human bodies on meat hooks, like several in a train. It's gross. It is gross movie that I had a pretty fun time. with. I'm literally texting Ben right now to ask if he's seen this and I will update 
later at the end of the podcast because if he has i feel like his reaction is going to be amazing if he says no it's just it'll just be no i like how this was an episode where we're like you know we should get away from the horror movies a little bit we're not a horror movie podcast let's pick something more timely back to school i talked about a star is born and i'm like uh (laughs) new bride bloodily has to survive being hunted and murdered by our rich ass in-laws in our house uh, slasher movie from the 80s and The Midnight Matrix. Wow. I ruined it. I ruined it. <laughs> I'm flabbergasted. Uh, you know, well, this has been a delight for me, Kayla. You know, I'm glad uh, that we got a chance to flabbergast you yeah. with, again, the greatest title of all time. Or, well, you know, let's say top 10. Lizard top 10. people. Okay. All right. You know what? We have to shelve that because if I think about that for too long, it's going to be like that Jenny Slate meme where she's like, I had to unfollow NASA on Instagram. So uh, let's uh, let's maybe get into it. Yeah, let's transition to a movie about only, that only features one lizard person. Yes. And that movie is... Election. In the nation's capital, a new leader has found a place in the halls of power. But her story began in the halls of high school. We'll move on now to the presidential race with three candidates running. The first is Tracy Flick. One thing that's important to know about me is that I'm an only child. My mom is really devoted to me. She likes to write letters to successful women like Elizabeth Dole and Connie Chung and ask them what advice do they have for me, Tracy, her daughter. The next candidate for student body president is Paul Metzler. I just don't think somebody would do something like that on purpose. I think you did it. And if you want to keep questioning me like this, I won't continue without my attorney present. I do not often speak with you and ask for things. But now I really must insist that you help me win the election tomorrow. Because I deserve it and Paul Metzler doesn't, as you well know. Final candidate, sophomore Tammy Metzler. I'm attracted to the person. It's just that all the people I've ever been attracted to happen to be girls. Election is the 1999 Alexander Payne movie. That is a satire of elections told in the setting of a high school. Uh, it features a, I was going to say legendary, like a star turn by Reese Witherspoon as the uh, a Tracy Flick who became quite the character archetype. And uh, her antagonist is Jim McAllister as played by Matthew Broderick in something of a flip of his Ferris Bueller role. Yeah, against type, for right. sure. Which like... Probably meant a lot in 1999. In 2019, it's kind of like, ah, you know, good for Matthew Broderick. He had another role besides Ferris Bueller that really took First of all, Matthew Broderick is Inspector Gadget, (laughs) which is a good role for him. That is, that could be a devastating comment. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, Inspector Gadget. I forgot about that. Caleb, we can't. Talk about Inspector Gadget. Quit trying to turn I'm this not. into an Inspector Gadget podcast <laughs> every week. I've never done this. Every week you try to turn this into an, a podcast about, I don't know, live action adaptations of like go, old go cartoons. Gadgeting, yeah. Anyway, so we're doing the Scooby-Doo movie next week. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> Come on. Nope. Oh, dang it. I mean, that basically sums it up. And as Jim McAllister's life starts to fall apart, the election at this high school starts to really escalate in a way no one anticipated maybe in part because jim McAllister sucks oh yeah let's get into it yeah i was say let's get into <laughs> it personally i'm kind of more interested like i'm sure once upon a time 
this seemed very, like a very incisive and biting scat- satire of elections. Like in, you know, 1999, obviously in 2019, a lot of this stuff feels a little on the nose. But I kind of want to talk about the movie, and the characters. Yeah. So this is your first time watching it ever. This is the first time I've ever seen this movie. And to be honest, I don't have any cultural knowledge of this movie. My main experience with this movie was seeing this very strange cover in which Matthew Broderick is in Reese Witherspoon's mouth. And I'm going to be honest with you, until like a month ago, I thought it was Cameron Diaz on the cover because I can't read. Man, that cover does not. I don't get it. Makes sense. I don't get it. So you can see why I would walk past this every day at Family Video and never think to watch it. Um... So she's in his head. It's not like he's in her. I truly, it makes no sense. No. Um, So the thing about this movie for me, and I think that sometimes it can be hard for me to engage with dark comedy or satirical comedy because I have a certain level of care that I expect from movies or when I want to watch a movie to be entertained I want it to more align with how I feel about things, which is, I guess, probably fairly universal. But, and again, I think if I had been the age I am now and I had seen this movie in 1999, I would feel much differently about it than I do. Because to me, I don't think that this movie is half as satirical as it thinks it is. And again, that could entirely be because we live in a much different time and a lot of crazy shit has happened in the past 20 years. I can, that is not like, the movie's fault. Culturally, we are much more aware of just how bananas politics, like yeah. politics, authority, the people in charge. On top of that, charge. there are some very strange character things happening in this movie. I think that this is a time period that it was much more acceptable to just have a shitty guy be the lead of your movie unquestioned. And I think that my major issue with this movie is that Jim McAllister is terrible. And I don't think that the movie or the writing does enough to make you understand that you're supposed to think he's terrible. Like, I think that he is kind of portrayed as, like, the wronged hero of the movie. And I don't think that they do a good enough job explaining how absolutely pathetic and bad he is. Because when I started watching this movie, I was like, okay, maybe I need to give this more than, like, 10 minutes. Like, don't get too uppity, like, social justice perspective, whatever. I, I really do try to rein in that impulse sometimes, especially with older movies. But... This movie is literally about a grown man who is angry at a teenager for a mistake that his fellow adult man friend made by noticing her vulnerability and loneliness, taking advantage of it and manipulating and grooming her into a sexual relationship, rightfully being fired for that. And yet somehow the blame and the malice is laid at Tracy's feet And I think that the movie ends with kind of still portraying her as the problem. And I just am really confused because I don't really know what the movie is trying to say about Tracy. I don't know what it's trying to say about Jim McAllister. And because we have now lived through the most insane, weird political climate in the history of the world, the political satire doesn't really work for me. So I spent the whole movie just kind of being like, what am I supposed to get from this? And you had seen it before. So yeah. I'm really curious, like, what what your first perception and now, like, how you feel about it having just rewatched it with our current life experiences. 
Okay, so I didn't remember as much about this movie, but I did remember the broad strokes. I do, like I thought at the time, and I do still think, I think the that the movie comes down much more critical on Jim, and that he, like, I come away from the movie thinking he is, he's pathetic. Mm-hmm. He is super pathetic. And I think that inevitably when you're put in the character's head, you're gonna, like, it, makes you see things from their perspective but i think even as he is narrating the end of the movie just how pathetic he is is coming across because Mm -hmm. he says about how it doesn't even bother him and he's basically like wait who the fuck does she think she is and whips a milkshake at her and then scampers off (laughs) as soon as the car stops because he's like oh no i don't act like what's so crazy to me yeah well i think like he ruined like he has a perfectly fine marriage that he completely ruins because of like he idealizes his best friend or whatever. He repeated he pathetically calls her and leaves voicemails over and over mm-hmm. again because he's just like can't believe what's happened and like even within one of the phone calls he's like how could you you've ruined my life I love you so much please pick up the phone which obviously probably read as more satirical at the time. Now it's just like, oh yeah, that is just... dudes are. I think, like, a lot of this stuff seemed, and probably was, like, more clever at the time, whereas Mm -hmm. now, like, we've, like, we've, like, we've lived 20 years of movies and culture post-election. Not saying it's a touching point, but, like, we have seen much more in-depth and biting dissections of, like, these different Mm -hmm. things than this kind of surface level, but, like, probably for some people still, like, whoa. Yeah, I I think maybe the issue really is more with how the movie decides to, like, portray Tracy. And she's not, like, I will say, like, coming back the second time, and like, to support your point, Mm -hmm. like, I guess I'm assuming you're about to make before I interrupted. She's not the, like, out-and-out hero that I thought she, like, that I thought I remembered her being. She's not a hero, but she's also not... A Regina George type character. At the end of the day, she is a driven young woman. She makes one impassioned mistake. Right. And rips up the posters. But even that, that wasn't really done out of malice. Mm -hmm. It's more about her feelings about her own... Like, impending failure it's it's like just i think like from a character's perspective in a movie it's pretty justifiable like yeah no, like it's she ripped down posters ultimately it doesn't matter and that's part of what's silly about the movie that mm-hmm. it's like this big thing that's she ripped down some posters whatever yeah i think that like when the the crux of the movie is this kind of unspoken competition between McAllister and tracy and especially when you have Like, we get access to all of their thoughts throughout the movie. And it's kind of that common thing of just, like, a conversation could maybe fix this. And obviously, they're not interested really – well, he's not interested in talking to her. And she does not have a responsibility to – Right. But it's just – I don't know. I think that it's just a a product of the time in that it probably was much more biting. But I think it also is an issue with a lot of media from the 90s where we're starting to get – on the page of like feminism or racial or sexual orientation inclusivity, but it's not quite there yet. And therefore any like bare minimum effort is seen as totally revolutionary. Uh, I don't know. Buffy the Vampire Slayer is the, is the thing that comes to me the most from the nineties where at the time groundbreaking crazy that it had that kind of audience and crazy that it had that kind of cultural impact. But if you watch it back now, Knowing all of the things we know 
about Joss Whedon, knowing all of the advancements that we've made in the way we talk about women and how we portray women and what constitutes a strong character, it's it just is a relic. And I think that that's kind of what we get here, where it's a good movie, and parts of it are definitely funny. I really love everything with Paul Metzler. I think he's just a good, doofy boy doing his best. And I appreciate that he is legitimately – it would be really easy to just make him a terrible, dumb jock. But he cares about his sister. He gets involved in P-Flag. <laughs> like, it's, it's so much more – like, he's like he's a total dummy, but also is, like, the kindest heart ever. Yeah. And takes nothing personal. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, you don't, you don't root against him, and you're not – really wanting to see him used against Tracy. And you also, I think that that is actually a place where the movie really succeeds is that Tracy is never really mad at Paul and she never takes out that anger on him minus the posters. And again, I really feel like, I feel like that's really more about her than it is anything else. And I don't know. I, I think that there is a lot of interesting ideas about this movie. I read this really long academic essay from somebody at Wayne State talking about, um, just the dichotomy of character and the theme of temptation running throughout. And I, there are things – I wish it was just a little bit more, I think, is really what it comes down to. is I, I wish that it could be what I want it to be. Like, I enjoy Tammy. And I think, like, she does some – so I think what I just came to is that, like, Jim McAllister, even though I think the movie make, makes him out to be, like – not even the villain, just like the, the the pathetic person where he's like still the most human character and everyone mm-hmm. else around him is like kind of an archetype of some yeah. sort. And I did not think Tracy, I did not, I didn't think Tracy Flick was going to be that or was that when I first watched it. But now watch it, it's like, she, yes, she's ostensibly like the co-lead, but like, like you're saying, Jim McAllister, uh, Matthew Broderick is the lead of the movie. Um, and Tracy Flake might be like more the hero, but there, well, it's it also, makes her yeah. like kind of inhuman sometimes. And like, maybe like, I don't want to take away this, like, I don't know if it's like a fair criticism, but like, it makes her not just a go getter, but it's sometimes like a bit bloodthirsty and like the way she flips out, like, uh, when she gets away with the poster thing, then using that as a grievance against other people, a weird I, I thought that was kind of an odd place to take it with this character if she was going to be the hero of the movie because that's a very mm-hmm. unheroic thing to do not that she has to be like you know what i mean not that it had like hero might and heroic might mm-hmm. be the wrong word but like the uh the uh like the opponent to like this mm-hmm. clear antagonist or whatever. Uh, i think what they're trying to do is set up the the point that everybody is flawed and everybody is bad but like at the end of the day when it really comes down to it it's an adult man taking out all of this weird resentment and anger on teenagers and i think that the late 90s was a time when that kind of narrative was okay maybe not okay but acceptable to put in a movie i i really when i was thinking about how to approach this movie i was thinking about american beauty a lot and about how that one best picture and how it is an incredibly praised movie that is ostensibly about a man trying to live out his pedophile fantasy. Which, like, even before uh, recent, not even revelations, but, like, proofs, um, <laughs> has aged poorly. Like, yeah. it's a punchline, essentially. Even, yeah, even if Kevin Spacey wasn't a giant creep in real life, that movie would never, ever, ever even get, well, it would probably maybe get made, but it wouldn't get nominated and win best picture. Yeah. 
it would probably be made somewhat differently. Yeah, and I'm not saying that like we can't have movies that are about like shitty dudes or whatever, but I think that the way that we approach them is different now and that when we make a movie about a shitty guy, it's not glorifying or um excusing his behavior. Like for instance, so I read the Roger Ebert reviews for Election and for American Beauty because I wanted to see if that connection I was making in my head made sense. Mm-hmm. And just the way that he talks about both of these male characters, I really feel like he like that I'm right and that it's just is a product of this time period in which they're looking for a movie to describe the loss of or what the perceived loss of traditional masculinity, mm. the perceived slights against it as you kind of get rise to narratives of people of color, narratives of LGBTQ people. Um, there's kind of this pushback of, no, I want a movie that's about an all-American guy. And it's either going to be funny and it doesn't matter. Like, so when he's talking about election, he's talking about how, you know, you can almost forgive McAllister for being upset at Tracy because she is so irritating. And in the review for American Beauty, he's saying, obviously, we don't agree, but we can understand his impulses. And he's just doing what any man would want to do. And it's like, no, like these, we're excusing these men for doing like shitty things and taking out their feelings on teenage girls that don't deserve it. And I, and that those those perspectives might be like legitimately the perspective of the movies, but that doesn't mean we we don't have to just be like okay, well now we're taking that that's the perspective of the movie. Mm-hmm. Let's proceed accordingly. Yeah, and interrogated. Them. Yeah, and I think that election again. I I often think that sometimes my life would be a lot easier if I was the age I am now in the nineties, just because in some ways things were simpler and you like um, the internet wasn't as prevalent. And it was easier to have discussions around things without it immediately being seen by, like, millions of people. And I feel like it was easier to kind of have those conversations or to discover things in your own time or come to ideas without having to immediately have an opinion on everything. But, like, when I see stuff like this, I'm like, oh, or actually I kind of like being in now (laughs) where people care about each other more and it's not, like, swept under the rug when bad things happen. Maybe things being a little more complicated is good Mm -hmm. because, like, sure, there are other sides effects but it means that you know obviously terrible or like ill-conceived notions are no longer upheld yeah we've we've progressed as a society and i think that as we get further and further out from some of these movies it'll be more and more clear what are classics what are transgressive classics what are things like i don't know how we talked about rosemary's baby in the last episode then like obviously these are not the same things at all but where it's Um, this is a genuinely good movie with lots of important things to say by a terrible person. Whereas I think that this is a movie that kind of doesn't stick the landing as much today, written by a perfectly fine person. Knock on wood, I guess. I I probably shouldn't say that about any man in Hollywood, but you never know. Um, And I think that the through line of these two movies we've chosen to talk about is so much like, everything is so absurd, but the movie is playing it completely straight. And that is definitely how election kind of is is it is a black comedy and it is meant to be satire but it is also like this is the world that they live in and nobody questions it not not to jump ahead but like maybe like it sounds like maybe you want like a few of the moments we have in brick that like just draws a little bit of attention to the absurdity like yeah. the inten- like it's intentionally absurd this like that in both movies that this that this like kind of very suddenly very adult situation is set in high school. Yeah. Children. Yeah. And Brick 
underlines that at a few points and election just kind of assumes it as fact Mm -hmm. and doesn't really point it out that often it's just like living it i will say i didn't finish the point earlier not to take away you know an lgbt character especially Mm -hmm. from a 90s movie but i do think at least with the caveat that i am not a writer at all um maybe i i think i might have liked it more if we spent less time with tammy and use that time making tracy flick a bit more of a character just Mm -hmm. The I don't movie know. Is- That's like legislating for a, like I just wanting a different movie at a certain point, but yeah. like also like the burn it all down character, obviously in 2019, feels mm-hmm. a bit less like I don't know. That's that's almost obvious now that there's a mm-hmm. burn it all down character, and people are like, oh yes, that, that I, I like that. Let's just fuck everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we're like we can't help at a point now, but we can't help but now be like that person is dangerous. Whereas then it's just like. I'm sure it felt kind of canny because I don't think people pointed it out nearly as much then. Yeah, it kind of reminds me um, actually of that scene in 21 Jump Street where Channing Tatum is trying to be cool. Like he was cool in high school in the 90s and he starts littering and whatever. And he's like, yeah, man, I don't care about the environment. And Dave Franco is just like, you don't care about the environment? It's fucked up, dude. (laughs) I think that's just like the kind of approach that we end up having with these movies because we just – are past where they were politically and societally. And I think it's a really interesting time capsule. So one thing that I don't, I don't know. I think it's intentional, but one thing I noticed this time is that obviously like, like, especially I think that more so that uh, Jim McAllister is like the clear villain. And just this totally ineffectual man who's just, gets in his own way because he has this big opinion like he um daydreams like you know the riding a car in the french countryside like thinks he's hot shit or could be hot shit and is actually just fucking shitty waste of space yeah who takes <laughs> us but also all other like there are no female figures of authority including like tracy's mom we barely see mm-hmm. and i think i kind of wanted some more of that but like all the figures of authority in this movie are ineffectual males mm-hmm. and that's where like i think that's kind of intentional too where like these like oh all the people in power are like i was gonna say these old white men i'm like uh, white probably wasn't part of it like i can read some intention into it i don't think the white part was part of the intention right. but, like are these old men who like want pe- these kids to just act like they're supposed to act but in the end they are just like ineffectual incapable and do not know what to do with this young generation that bumps up against their norms. And so they just bumble around mm-hmm. and fuck up. And I that's where I, I don't like that wasn't with the main thrust of the movie, but that almost like, if anything, that was the part that not held up the best, but like felt still kind of sharp. Yeah. And I think now. too, like, and that really like it is a commentary on ineffectual government in the 90s and pageantry in elections. And that's an important context to keep in mind. So yeah, I don't know. I, I agree with you. I think that it, at the end of the day, like it is about that more than anything. And I think that what I am looking for is just like, I wish it did better by its female characters. Mm-hmm. Although I will say as far as lesbian characters in the 90s tammy's pretty good just yeah. because she just is and it's not a big deal that's why i don't really want to take it away because like when i watched this a couple years ago too i was like oh there's just this 
matter of fact lesbian character and like sure the adults are dicks about it but it's fine but they're also not even really like her parents either i can i couldn't really tell if they didn't know or if they just didn't care it seems like they didn't know probably it's like they they sent her to this catholic school because she was acting out in other ways not because she was gay and it turns out to be her you know her haven (laughs) i i genuinely thought that all of the parts with her talking about like her girlfriends and stuff were very funny and very on point like we are soulmates (laughs) yeah and that's what i'm like so see if you just take that and you turn it up a little bit for her and for tracy or like i i really like having paul betzler because just like he's actually like this beacon of how you can be like you know a straight dumb dude but also very supportive to like your loved ones he's just like legitimately like oh yeah like i would like to do this but if i don't get it it's fine it seems like you really want to do this so you kind of like he votes against himself because he doesn't think it's right to vote for himself like it's just like maybe the purest character i've ever seen who also gets a blowjob in a movie (laughs) yeah that's that's uh that's who we want you know that guy. I also, I this is the one thing that I have to bring up because it p- bothered me so much. Yeah. The fact that McAllister has sexual fantasies about Tracy Flick, but never, co- like, he will comment on any other thing. He never shuts up, but that never gets a single critical eye or thought or even a throwaway. Yeah, it's probably messed up that I do that, but what am I going to do? Like, right. any self-examination of it. And, and it's very uncomfortable. Like, one, like not it should be uncomfortable and like if it's happening in the movie, but like go ahead, sorry. Like one, if you're a teacher and you watch teacher student porn, literally go set yourself on oh, fire. Yeah. If you are in real life and you don't see the problem with that, you gotta go. You put yourself in the trash compactor, stay there. <laughs> but just I, I and again, maybe it would be funnier or have any ounce of comedy to it if I were not where I am now and we're in the middle of this great reckoning of men abusing their power. Mm-hmm. But it just seems like at any time he's like, I don't know, this weird high school vixen who totally seduced my friend could turn on me too. But he wants that to happen. Yeah. And and he, it's never addressed that he has that fantasy. And he is punished for his bad behavior, but not his, like, he's punished for his bad behavior regarding students in that you know, meddling with the election and, like, you know, being vindictive against, a spe- like, a specific student. And he's published for his adult sexual behavior because, obviously, his wife dumps him because she cheats on him. But, yeah, he never – that is never really addressed. Like, the fact that he does fantasize about, st- like, student-teacher, like, sex – and specifically, sometimes Tracy Flick. Like, yeah, that's, I, I, I hadn't thought of that. So bizarre. But, but it is never addressed. It's even strange. Like, I would have I, even been satisfied with him having some throwaway line about, like, right. what am I going to do? Right. I, I I don't, like, I don't necessarily want it to be removed because I think, like, not that, like, it needs to be, like, I think it is an, it's an insight into his character because he resents her so much. And that's, right. like, such a through line of toxic men is that... For the, like, and that's what it is. It, it, he wants to control her and subjugate her because she irritates him, because she is outshining or overachieving or getting things that he wants. It's a very real thing, but it like another one of those things. Like maybe needs to be addressed a little bit more. Yeah, because Even just a little bit. Yeah, I would have just liked any right a- address of it because <laughs> it is so bizarre that it's just thrown in there and then never talked about again. Yeah. 
But yeah, I don't know. And that's he's again, terrible in just so many ways. Yeah, you know? he's so so uniquely terrible as a whole human being. <laughs> and I will say, I am a sucker for like anything where it has like where's Lord a guy who thinks of himself as a nice guy is revealed to actually be just like. Is, and also was taught that, like, he's a piece of garbage. Yeah. I just enjoy stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> I wish he uh, learned, but, you know. Oh, I don't, like, I like we to... are going to do a satire. Like, I I don't know that I'd wish he learned just because I think that's kind of the point, too, right. is that, like, he never actually gets better. He, like, talks like he is, he mostly is like, oh, I've rebounded fine. And actually, life is pretty good despite that. Like, I think that's very, like, I think that's very real, but. Ah, ultimately, my disagreement is mm-hmm. like in shades or degrees, not like really disagreeing. Right, right, right. No, I totally get it. But yeah, I don't know. I I think it's it's a an interesting little movie. Um, I don't know. I don't really. I think that's pretty much all I have to say about it. I think Tammy's cool, and Paul's a good boy. I think that. Oh, sorry. I think that the thing that is that also shines kind of a, a more gray light on it is that. Only a couple of years later, Reese Witherspoon does Legally Blonde, which is such an incredible dissection of character archetype and like turning stereotypes on their heads. And again, it's not, they're not really the same kind of movie, but Tracy Flick and Elle Woods are not so different as characters. And I think that Reese Witherspoon as an actress kind of looked at Tracy Flick, really does perform the hell out of that character and makes her an interesting character and then applies that kind of same thought process to Elle Woods to make a different movie in which the female character does get to be the hero and does get to trample on these dudes that doubt her. And I really like that character development in like Reese Witherspoon's acting choices. You know, what's really shocking is I've not yet once tried to do the Minnesota accent that only Reese Witherspoon is doing in this movie, even though it takes place in Nebraska. Is she? Yeah. I really listen to it again. Those O's. It's those okay. O's. Okay. Is very, she from like, Minnesota? Actually, I don't know, but it like I I listen to it. And I'm just like the way they're hitting the consonants is like ringing a bell in my head. It takes place in Omaha. I feel like Omaha is one of those places though that people weirdly think is Midwestern. Right. That's why I was like, I swear this sounds like someone doing a Minnesota, like a very like a pretty light Minnesota accent. But I'm like, I don't know if there's an I, there must be a Nebraska accent, but like. Just the way that she that she hits, and it's kind of just her, just hits those vowels. So She's like, from oh. New Orleans. So that really doesn't make sense. But if she was trying to do a Nebraska thing, that's yeah. kind of what I, like, I meant to look into it more just at, out of personal curiosity. But I'm like, if you're from New Orleans, or like, you know, somewhere not even close to the Midwest, and you're like, look at them, like, you're like, what would that accent be? Right. You'd hit on probably like Chicago. Minnesota, somewhere in there, and just the way she was hitting those vowels. I'm granted, I'm doing like much more of Fargo, but it was the O's especially. The way she said the O's, it was really adorable. I'll spare all of you because, as we all know, <laughs> I can't do accents. Neither can I, but I'm going to try. I'm like even trying to think about how to wrap my mouth around that, and I don't. Mm. That was really gross. Oh, That's yeah. not what I meant. <laughs> Sorry, I just realized as I said that that was not a thing I wanted to say. Kayla, as me, we Minnesotans would say, oofta. 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 Oh, boy. Oh, oh boy. All right. So I think we can move on I to our next I won't apologize. Movie. I was born in Minnesota. I will apologize for not being better at the accent. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Unless you have further thoughts on election, I think we can move on. You betcha. All right. So the next movie we're going to talk about is Ryan Johnson's 2005 noir caper, <laughs> Brick. Brick. <laughs> 
Brendan. Emily? I really screwed up. Screwed up how? The brick. What? I, I didn't know it was bad, but the pin's on it now. You gotta help me. Slow down now. This isn't good? No. Emily said words I didn't know. Tell me if they catch. Brick? No. Tug? Tug might be a drink, like milk and vodka. Pin? You know the kingpin. Dope bro, right? Big time. What are you gonna do? She asked for my help. I just wanna know she's okay. So what's first? I'm gonna start shaking things up. So you didn't know this boy? No sir, never seen him. And he just hit you. But he asked for my lunch money first. Good thing I brown bagged it. Brick is a noir film set in a high school. That's really the quickest and easiest way to describe it because it is truly so interesting how straight this movie is played and how incredibly close it is to all of the classic noir films that I have seen. So this movie stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt and I'm kind of Emily DeRavin and Lucas Haas and is about a loner who is trying to push his way into this uh, high school slash college drug ring because his ex-girlfriend that he is still in love with has gotten herself tangled up in all of these wires and he thinks he has to help her. Um, this movie was made for $14 and edited on an iMac by Ryan Johnson, who is my, maybe not my favorite director, but has created literally some of my favorite movies of all time. And we only chant knives out, knives out, knives out before we go to sleep every night. <laughs> yes. And I think that this movie is such an incredible homage to genre film. And I think that when I look at Ryan Johnson's career, that's really what he's been doing with every single movie he's ever chosen to direct. So Brick is a noir movie. The Brothers Bloom is a classic con caper. Looper is time travel shenanigans. Lo- yeah, Looper is uh, time crime nonsense. Um Got some Terminator vibes. And yeah. Just like the special guy, sci-fi job, protecting a, like a, I can't remember, un- unmarried woman or a child. Yeah. And Star Wars is obviously a space opera. And then you're going to get Knives Out, which is your uh, whodunit. So I think that... More like Clue done it. <laughs> we picked this movie because I was trying to think of interesting high school movies. And it won out over a bunch just because I haven't, I haven't seen it in a while. I wanted to make sure it still held up. And it has... So many interesting things going in on it. You have baby Joseph Gordon-Levitt doing this insane Humphrey Bogart impression at all times. Um, the pregnant lady from Lost is here. Uh, oh, still a pregnant lady. Not a pregnant. Well, yeah, I guess she is. Yeah. So I don't know. Let's let's get into it. <laughs> I saw this movie for the first time when I was in high school and I was going through my film buff discovery phase. I had already watched a bunch of noir films. And so this concept was really interesting to me. And I'm trying to, I don't remember exactly. I think I had already seen the brothers bloom before I saw this and we were working backwards, but I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. You know, what's really criminal. We have been friends all this time. I watched brick because I'm pretty sure you recommended it. I've still never watched The Brothers Bloom. I don't think I'm really your friend. I'm going to throw this mic across <laughs> the room. Okay, so the, the Brothers Bloom is literally my favorite movie of all time. Yeah. That's like the craziest take that I've ever come up with in my life because people are so weirdly divided on that people movie. People are like, wait, that Brothers Grimm movie? Or no. Matt Damon? No. 
I could. I'm sorry. I I will not go in on the Brothers Bloom because I really could forever. Do you want to talk about Adrian Brody's career arc instead? No. I certainly do not. I think we've already had that conversation on this podcast several times. I taunt you with it every now and then. Yeah. So, Brick, the movie we are actually talking about, we chose because it is this really interesting high school movie that is set in a high school but is not about high school at all. I like how we both picked movies set in high schools that aren't really about high school. Well, I think that it's a really interesting through line that we've accidentally come up with. Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't know. This this movie is stylistically taking – everything from classic noir movies and the dialogue is very much like that the character archetypes are like that and i think it's very interesting that you can take the character archetypes of a noir movie and so easily lay them over high school characters and i think that he does a really good job of mixing up the writing in such a way that it is you know these kind of hard-boiled 1920s 1930s words and then you get everything like oh by the way did you talk to your mom or something like that like it's it 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 is so absurd it is played so straight and every time you kind of get that wall break where you remember oh fuck these are kids it's good it's never yeah. it's never making fun of itself or taking itself too seriously one of my favorite things about this movie is how funny it is which like it is pointedly almost like it is almost always super serious except for when it's hilarious yeah those there are those wall breaks that you mentioned but also one thing i texted you that stood out to me is several times throughout the movie he just frames things in such like a funny way like the way that they fight with each other or something and uh, the exact example that caused me to text that i didn't remember it's it's like super film bro one-on-one to be like framing actually is that but just (laughs) I like it when so- I really enjoy it when someone is, like when they mine so much humor just from how they frame things, and he, he just does that several times in this movie. I'm like, oh, that's that plus the wall breaks. I'm like, is mm-hmm. he actually hilarious? Well, I think he is. I think that Ryan Johnson is a very intentional filmmaker, and he has a very specific vision for how he sets up each and every project. And when I think about this, like the the one scene to me that always sticks out when I think about the intentional humor in this is the chicken vase in the kitchen when we've already had this whole scene where Brendan and the pin are sitting in his mom's kitchen and she's bustling around asking about cornflakes and juice or whatever. And that in and of itself is hilarious because you kind of have to sit back and remember that at the end of the day, the pin is a 25-year-old dude who lives at his mom's house. Brendan is a sophomore in high school or something. And the actual funniest part of this is that Tug, the the muscle, picks up this chicken mug and threatens to hit him with it, walks out of the room with it, and then in frame comes back and just very deliberately sets it back down on the table. And I don't know what it is, but that is the funniest part of the movie. (laughs) I really like Humphrey Bogart movies, but I think that, again, the, the thing that comes up about those movies is that the politics of them at the end of the day are maybe not always super great because, you know, you have the way that women were treated in the 1930s and the way that the female characters always kind of end up dead or punished or whatever. And that movie has all of this. Mm-hmm. We get the doe-eyed innocent who gets caught up in something bad and ends up dead. We have the femme fatale who eventually is caught up and punished for being a femme fatale. But I think that the way that this movie frames it is that, you know – they're in high school. Like, at the end of the day, okay, yes, that's pretty crazy that you helped bring down a drug pin. But, like, what's going to happen to her? She's probably going to go to juvie for, like, two years and then write a college essay about it because she's 
a rich drama club kid, <laughs> you know? And I think that when you're able to sit back and think about all of those things, it becomes such an interesting film. I'm curious, what was the first time you saw this? It was probably a couple years ago. Uh, it was definitely when I lived in mid- the Midland Department. I just specifically, honestly, around the time I watched Texas Chainsaw first time those are the just same because <laughs> i just remember the back like i'm like i must have watched those in the same room because i just have that like memory of my surroundings at the time like that wall and everything but it was definitely i think it must have come up on netflix sometime after you'd recommend it to me mm-hmm. so like that's the time frame like uh so that would put it my memory's bad like 2011 to 2013 i think yeah probably 2012 if i had to guess right and I haven't watched it again since, but I know I watched it, and then I think then I watched Looper, and I still have, like, I think it's just, um, it's one of those things when you're so dependent on streaming to determine what you're watching, streaming and theaters, like, I'm pretty dependent on streaming and theaters to determine what I watch. There are just a lot of gaps in your, like, in your film history, I mean, whether I've, they be, go ahead. I mean, I've literally always owned a copy of The Brother's Bloom on DVD. Oh, I forgot, like. But again, like I unbelievable. Even, even my phys- <laughs> like I like having the physical media to have it, but I don't necessarily use it a lot. Like yeah, no, like it's legitimately. I do some things as a friend, as a bit, like bring up Adrian Brody's super like career arc, but like I literally, this is not a bit. I do, I'm not even Brody. trying to avoid it. It's just like I forget. Like I never remember that you have a DVD, and so it's just like never been available or like top of my mind. So I never think to look for it. God, Adrian Brody is so good in the Brothers Bloom yeah. too. Like a legitimately like heartbreaking but amazing. Per- anyways, <laughs> no, we're talking and, about I mean, the reason I brought up Brothers Grimm is because like I've checked family. Like whenever I think to check like video stores for it, find the Brothers Grimm, but I never find the Brothers Bloom. Yep. And so like that's like there are just certain things. Like there are a lot of class movies I haven't seen. It isn't intentional. I'm not avoiding them, but like. Like, streaming is another one that's really, like, most streaming services are pretty reliant on new media. It's really hard to get a hold of some of these things. That's why something like Filmstruck or Criterion Channel is really important. Because otherwise you might never think to watch those things. Yeah, or even have them ever available to you. Right, or, like, like, never available, or, like, my problem is, like, it might be easily available to me, but, like, I'll never know by looking at, like... The Netflix, like, you know, the standard Netflix screen. The algorithms or, are bad. like, Hulu. Like, I was actually really surprised that Brick is on Netflix right now. I, I'm guessing because it's cheap. Probably. And and again, so for context, this movie was made for under half a million dollars. I was not actually joking when I said he edited on his iMac. That was real. I'm guessing <laughs> it's cheap and he's a director of a Star Wars. Or maybe, like, honestly, I wonder, Netflix is a company like any other and with people working at it. It's possible that it's cheap and, like, whoever's in charge of, like, acquisitions or whatever at Netflix just wants to have this movie and found a way to get it. It's such a straight – like, the thing, though, is, like, I can't imagine stumbling upon this movie and knowing how to react to it. You know? Like, I feel like it's very much – you kind of need to know about Ryan Johnson as a director. You need to have the context that it's not a parody. Right. And that it's meant to be serious. And then you also have to have the context of understanding noir film, which, like, is probably going to become less and less a thing that people know or know about or care about mm-hmm. as we kind of get into this age where we're not going to have access to these sorry, older movies. Did you not watch Mute? 
I don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, it's it's a really bad. Oh Jesus! From Netflix, that David Ayer's movie. No, no, no. That's not. bright. I'm sorry. David Mute. Bowie's kid, Warlock guy or Warcraft guy. Um, Duncan Jones. Yes. He's David Bowie's kid. Yeah. That explains. So much. Okay. Uh, it's it's really bad. Well, so many things just... No, I, I do know what you're talking yeah. about now. I remember now. It, it's super fun. Big bummer, because Moon is a really good movie. Yeah. Um, I, actually, no, I haven't seen Moon since like 2011, no, so I now I'm not it sure. fairly recently. It's good. That was the other thing. So this was the other thing I was worried about, because we had talked a lot about election ahead of time, and you had seen it, and I hadn't, and being unsure now kind of of like every old movie and how it'll play and how you'll think about it. I don't trust most opinions on movies I had when I was younger than like, uh, like 21 for sure. 24 generally. (laughs) I was like a really pretentious high schooler. And so I have a lot of movies that I know that I watched during that time that I know that I liked during that time, but I don't know. (laughs) And this was definitely one of those where I was like, this could go either way. Like it could still be good and it could hold up or it could be weird. And I think that because it is so entrenched in this, the, the archetypes and the dialogue style of noir, it gets that kind of timeless feel. So even though it's like kind of cheaply produced, the, uh, there's some ADR stuff that doesn't quite sync up. It still is a good movie. Because it is a version of a movie that I've seen a bunch of times that I like. And I think generally movies do kind of need to stand on their own. Like can be really informed by the viewer's knowledge of these other things that it's in this case like directly paying homage to or, you know, like Mm -hmm. based off of. But like it is still like, you know, it is still riveting in a certain sense. You still kind of care about the Maybe not so much the characters because there isn't a ton of character to them, but the, like if the performances are good and you have mm-hmm. like you know. So and fun. and the funny thing about that is that's really what there is to noir movies because half of the time the plots to noir movies don't make sense and they don't circle the way that they're supposed to mm-hmm. because they're so caught up in being mysterious and having all these metaphors. I remember we watched it yesterday. And I can't remember exactly the line, but there's something that Brendan says that's just. This insane non sequitur like metaphor for something. And it reminded me of how many ridiculous things get said in norm movies to make like a bad metaphor where it's like I was like a pulped banana standing on my two feet or something to say that he's worn out and tired. Was that right before it was like, oh, where do you big word? Oh, yeah. uh, Ninth grade English class. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so like that's that's how these kinds of movies are. And they're really about. Or very seriously said lines like, she knows where I eat lunch. Yeah. Like, they're about the journey, <laughs> and they're about the dialogue being punchy and interesting. They're not really about the characters or 100% every part of the story lining up. <laughs> like, for instance, The Big Sleep has a character that is supposed to be the murderer, but is dead when the murder happens, like, kind of deal. Or like, even in this movie, like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, like, there's so much that we don't see where he's, like, he is, like... Well, I guess Veronica Mars in terms of like, you know, kind of noir, like obviously much less noir dependent, but like she's a kid detective. It's kind of, I've been mm-hmm. watching Veronica Mars. That's why it's, it's I've actually never mind. seen Veronica Mars. Oh, it's really good. I think I would like Especially it. Yeah. The first season, like, for, uh, yeah, it's good. Um, and it's on Hulu. I've been watching it on your Hulu account. Um, but you know, you de- wow, why? I think it's because I watched it around the same time as Buffy, and I obviously stopped rec- like saying, you mm-hmm. really need to watch Buffy at a certain point, because... I feel like it was just one of those things where I was like, yes, I'm totally going to watch that at some point, and it just, it was unavailable for a long time. 
Maybe and it's I'll only got them. four. I think it's just. I'm not sure, but yeah, it's it's good, and especially because like it's a young, it's a young girl solving mysteries. You mm-hmm. know, love it. But from the iZombie creator. <laughs> um, what was I? What was I talking about? Oh my gosh, I love Brendan. He's such a weird figure, and it kind of reminds me of Veronica Mars. Where like he is obviously very capable, and he has a certain begrudging ex- respect from all of these different groups, and like he obviously like had this girlfriend who's now like working through like these burnouts or whatever but also like there's this drama club girl who's like kind like kind of into him uh there are obvi- other motives for like this rich other drama club girl <laughs> uh, all these different people have either a begrudging respect for him or an attraction to him he's sam even spade though, yeah <laughs> even though he's like a total loner who like you'd think they would probably see him as a loser. But like I think, I don't know, that character mates because I haven't watched much noir. It, I really enjoy those characters because yeah. it's like the authority versus the loneliness and solitude. Yeah, you should that. watch all noir movies then because that's, uh, he's literally Sam Spade. It's like, that's just fascinating. I'm like, this person does not exist, do they? <laughs> Uh, only in Dashiell Hammett novels, yeah, I think. Like, yeah, that's like, oh, um, yeah. Well, that's where, like, even though I don't have that knowledge, noir, I really kind of, I, I really enjoy it. Well, and because I think that it's it's interesting because I think that noir is built into our culture more than we realize that it is because it was such a such a popular thing for a really long time. But like westerns, too. Like, yes, we don't really make westerns anymore, but, like, th- that was all people watched for a decade. Yeah, and I think that that is the same kind of cultural phenomenon and also that we are trained, whether we realize it or not, to recognize those archetypes and they can be translated to many different settings. And I think that Ryan Johnson does a perfect balancing act here of reverence and calling out the sheer absurdity of it. And I think that it's easier to forgive, like, problematic aspects, I guess, of noir because there is the scene where he fights with his ex and he pushes her or it's not intentional, but like, you know, basically what it is is they get into a fight and he gets mad and he pushes her. And these are the kinds of things that I don't like, obviously. (laughs) But when you are literally dealing with a story that's like, this is a respected scoundrel who plays by his own rules like it's much easier to understand the character motivations when you just know like he's just kind of shitty right like i was gonna say like isn't that kind of the thing is like like definitely in this movie is that he's not like yes he's our protagonist but he's more like he's not supposed to be a good guy yeah he's just the capable like different levels of scoundrelry but like just a very capable guy with like who has a heart at the center of this but yeah like he doesn't necessarily make him a good guy mm-hmm. i think that when we were more willing to have an anti-hero and call it an anti-hero it it made it easier to uh, consume well kayla i don't know if you've been watching prestige television lately oh, but uh god it just also feels like a different kind of anti-hero because yeah uh, mates because like he he doesn't really win in the end either is the thing. Yeah, I think that's what it is is none of his actions are glorified. And he has a sensitivity to him. And he, at the end he walks away with like okay, he kind of helped but he still doesn't have what he wanted. He figured out the case and they got the bad guy, but yeah, from a personal perspective his life is like, still empty. Yeah. <laughs> It like may not end in tragedy, but yeah, he's not yeah. being actively rewarded, mm-hmm. and I think it it forces you to grapple more with like, okay, he's a boy genius who solved the crime, but 
he's lonely and unseen and maybe the only other person who did see him and care about him recently, he's now had to turn over. And I think that... Well, that's also, like, in that... That's a total noir trope. The film Yes, now. yes. And so I think that, like, when I look at noir films, it's much easier to stomach those kinds of male characters because I also know that at the end of the day, the writers are aware that their lives are kind of empty and they aren't being glorified in a way that sets them up as a hero. And we can look at their actions and understand that like that they aren't being condoned basically <laughs> that makes me think of i can't remember who mentioned it recently but they talked about how like cathar- like i can't remember what it was but talking about how catharsis can actually be a really bad thing in movies because it's mm-hmm. that just struck me about this movie is like i really enjoy it and i kind of just i'm attracted to movies that don't really have catharsis in general mm-hmm. i just find that very interesting that weird like empty sometimes empty feeling or whatever. Uh, yeah so like i just find that go ahead it's like challenging art is yes. what it comes down to is that not every story has a neat little bow on it that's how life works mm-hmm. and so sometimes we're drawn to entertainment that replicates life i think that when i think of a movie like synecdoche new york the movie's depressing as fuck <laughs> It's a really good movie, but I have never felt more empty inside than when it finished. And so I think that sometimes we have to seek out those kinds of emotions because we see them over and over again in real life. And it's almost cathartic in a way to see them reflected truthfully in entertainment because we know that we're not alone. And so while the movie and the narrative itself does not provide catharsis, we can also get our own sort of strange personal catharsis from being like, okay, somebody gets it. And also part of the thing with art is, like, sometimes you need to be, and just in general, sometimes you need to be challenged. And sometimes mm-hmm. you also want to be challenged. Yeah. You like, I, I like when I don't really know. Like, I'm like, I had a reaction to that movie. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure what I think about it yet. Yeah. And I'm like, I wish I was, like, a little smarter and was able to verbalize, like, my, like, if we had done a, our Midsummer podcast right after seeing it, I'm I don't know that I would have been able to say anything, mm-hmm. uh, let alone anything definitive, because I had to sit with it for a while, and th- th- I enjoy that feeling. Yeah, and I think that that is something that I really actually like about Ryan Johnson as a filmmaker, because I think that he makes movies that you could just sit and watch and have a good time and walk away from them, or you can sit and think about it. Like, we're having this entire discussion about Brick. The entire crux of The Brothers Bloom is that these two brothers, they're all they've ever had. They've grown up in this weird kind of like rough and tumble Oliver Twist con man family. And it frightens the oldest one who makes the plans that his younger brother wants to be out and that he wants to have a normal life. And the the conflict of the movie is him trying to give him that gift, but also reckon with his own feelings about having to let go of that. And I can see all of that and I can feel... I've cried every time I've ever watched that movie, but it's also a fun caper in which Adrian Birdie and Rachel Weiss fall in love over the course of these hijinks that they're all getting into together. You can take different things from it. And I think that it's interesting to kind of see that applied in larger scale to a movie like Star Wars. And I'm assuming Knives Out. <laughs> we'll see. But I really like him and I think that he is so intentional and I am have been interested in his career for like 10 years now. 
And it's nice to be validated sometimes in choosing correctly. Especially when he makes, like, maybe the best Star Wars movie. The best Star Wars movie. And, like, I... It is the best Star Wars movie. I don't (laughs) care. I have no skin in this game because I'm not, like, a Star Wars fan. But there are scenes from that movie that are, like, literally burned into my brain forever. Yes. And no other Star Wars movie has ever done that for me. So... Minus the first time I saw BB-8, but that's different. Different kind of burned into my brain. It's like a love at first sight. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, I agree with all of that. Yeah. Plus, you know, it's always fun when you get a guy who can make, like, you know, uh, fun, like very clever, intelligent movie, uh, like movies or moments in movies, like with Brick or, you know, my favorite time nonsense, Looper. Mm-hmm. But also someone who can make Captain America say, eat shit, eat shit. Definitely each. <laughs> I'm actually, I think that. I'm so excited for Scumbag Chris Evans. I think that Brick and Knives Out are going to be such interesting companion pieces because they are both taking these archetype movies. And I also think it's really been, like, I can't remember the last time we've had just a good whodunit movie. That's like a fun, I think I said the word caper like 18 times in this podcast, but it is. It's a what caper. About a lark. A lark. <laughs> well, because like if I think about it, I'm like, okay, clue. But then the last, like, definitive whodunit movie is the usual suspects and that movie isn't fun that movie is painful and like dour in many ways like i'm like i feel like i have gotten that vibe from some movies recently but yes there's a reason i always go back to clue even though it's like like that movie is mostly lark like it's mostly silly but you know i I love it so such a great Um, movie oh why go back to like agatha christie's yeah. Like, why I enjoy, honestly, why I enjoyed the new Murder on the Orient Express, even though it's aggressively fine. I was, Sometimes. I love a cozy whodunit, you know? Yeah. I just like a good, cute little mystery. I was really <sighs> obsessed with Nancy Drew when I was younger. I was like a 17-year-old who wanted to watch Humphrey Bogart movies every two seconds. Like, that's weird, where I feel comfortable. <laughs> weird thing that's a comfort listen for me, Dan Stevens narrating, and then there were none. So good. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm interested to see how these two movies compare and contrast. See, Scream I, came up. That's like, uh, that's like not what I'm thinking of, though. Slasher, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah like, I mean, I'm Gobby's talking. still love it, but yeah. I'm talking like your hard-boiled mystery. I don't know. Right. Like, that's but what I'm thinking. But maybe a little zany. Yeah. I don't know. I, Moon, uh, no, I'm sorry. True, how many hard-boiled mystery? Like, I guess that's a, like another, that. It's almost like before everything else got us talking about this fact, like that almost, it when it exists, got moved to television, if anything. Yes. But even then, like, I, there's this, just a specific vibe to like a, especially a zany whodunit mm-hmm. that, I guess it's kind of like if you're a big screwball comedy fan, you don't have a lot to, like, what do you have these days that's like a screwball farce? I don't know enough about that genre, but I'm like, Mistress America... And I don't really know what else. I don't know. Yeah. Huh. I think that, again, we've kind of lost those like, like mid-level genre pieces in film. And it's such a bummer because when I think about – so Election is a really good example of this. That movie would never get made today. That'd be like a five-part miniseries on HBO. Or like if it if. did get made, it would – it would there'd be something different. Like it would almost have to be more pointed or like have more. I don't, I don't even know. I don't know. I it wouldn't I get le- made like it is though. I legitimately don't think that movie would get made now. So it's just, we're at this really weird place and it's a really weird spot to be in as a fan of film where these kinds of movies 
often are my favorite. Like the Brothers Bloom would. I can't even believe so, the Brothers okay, Bloom got so made like, then. Kayla, like maybe what if we put Ant Man in it though? Would that like uh? Yeah. What if we just what if we made the I mean, Brick I, extended universe right. and the guy from Looper is also gonna come back and try to kill Brandon? <laughs> I don't know. But I, I what if it was Deadpool? <laughs> yeah. What if Deadpool knew he was in the movie? <laughs> <laughs> Can we figure out like an X Man who could, like oh, sure that you could make your little time travel movie? But what if like an X Man was the lead? What if there was a horror movie that was also X Men? <laughs> oh, that, oh boy, that got me right. <laughs> All right, so why why did we let ourselves get hung up on New Mutants, Kayla? Why did because we, we do both that? wanted it? Because it's <sighs> we both like horror. You like X Men, and I've been looking for I, a way to relate to X Men for many years. I can't believe in this the age of superheroes. The superheroes I actually care about, really, are the X-Men. And those are the movies I'm the most, like, I think I'm going to pass. Maybe the real X-Men were the friends we made along the way. Why would you do that? (laughs) The friends we made along the way were the X-Men? I don't know. (sighs) So it sounds like we're wrapping up. Uh (laughs) Do we have any final thoughts on Brick or Ryan Johnson or any of that? Actually, (laughs) one last one, yes. Uh, I really like considering this movie was made for, again, $14, uh, give or take, a penny. Uh, I really like the casting in this movie. Um, obviously, getting Joseph Gordon-Levitt before he was big, but like, and maybe Emily DeRaven, DeRaven, DeRaven was. I think. I think this is after. This was like right around the first season of Lost, so okay. I guess it kind of makes sense. But even like Lucas Haas in there, Nora Zaitner who plays Laura, like she's like one of those like ah oh, that face. I know. Do you that know what's face so funny? I actually thought about this when this movie when we when I first watched this movie many mm-hmm. eons ago in like two thousand nine. I remember looking at Nora Zaitner's. IMDb and being so disappointed that she had been in nothing. And so yesterday I was thinking, I was like, wow, it's so sad that like her career never took off. But then I looked at it and I was like, oh, she has a pretty fine career on TV and stuff. I just have never seen any of this stuff. Like like Emily Duravan was on like a hundred episodes of one of the vampire broody shows. Not True Blood, but the other one. Vampire Diaries? That or the fairy tales one. One of those. Like one of those. It's like, you know. She's on something. Right. She's fine. And so like the... Right, it's fine. Like, oh yeah, they were just like they had a fine career. It's just that for ten years they mostly just did that TV well, show. Well, and also at the time, which is disappointing for us, but honestly for them, pretty good. Well, pretty also good at the gig. time, it was pretty early into our IMDb page, so it's just kind of funny to me that I hadn't seen this movie since then. Yeah, and then hadn't thought about any of these people since then, and so just kind of had that weird same she impression. Fell off of the earth in the decade <laughs> since, <laughs> never to be seen again. Uh, yeah, no, I just like there are a bunch of like faces that I'm just like. I know that face. I like that face. Or people mm-hmm. who are just good in the roles. I just, considering, you know, the tiny budget. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's not like, um, it's not like Short Term 12 where like, oh, wow, they anointed the next, like, five of the next t- next 10 best actor or actress winners. But just, I just really appreciate it. Just yeah. Very nicely done. Yeah. Very good. Good movie, Kayla. Highly recommend. Yeah. Good movie. Also, watch The Brothers Bloom if you haven't. Maybe. Or Kayla will... <laughs> like you're like okay by the time i get back from the uk if you haven't watched the brothers bloom you're getting kicked off the salem trail. <laughs> the trello board will be removed no. from you for either of these movies i guess are we gonna let these films in oh my god are, no. are these the right films no yeah. we don't talk about that we don't do that um we never did nope i was gonna ask if you had a recommendation to watch 
Well, because so we talked about back to school movies, and like I'm like, man, what school movies have I watched recently? And the thing is, any school movies that come to mind don't really fit. Like you said, we picked a double feature of like high school movies that aren't really about high school. Mm-hmm. They're about like other things and then taking place in high school, thus heightening the absurdity. Yeah. And like other movies like that aren't necessarily coming to mind. What's coming to mind is like, oh, The Edge of Seventeen is like a movie I really like about a high schooler or uh, obviously Lady Bird. Is... Have you ever seen The Assassination of a High School President? No. I watched it once many years. I'm not actually recommending this because I haven't seen it in recent enough to have a real opinion on it, mm-hmm. but it's kind of the same thing where like they're trying, like it's, there's an assassination plot against their high school president. It's, it has Misha Barton in it. It's very like, I don't know. This was apparently in the mid two thousands, like a thing that was happening. Is this one, um, Oh, we need to like Sean Parker has to die or what? No, Sean Parker. Sean Tucker must or John yeah. John Tucker must die. Yeah, that's it. Like was Sean Parker is, period? I think, uh, Justin Timberlake in yep. the Social Network. Yeah, that's the Napster guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, not also the- not a person I remember in real life. I remembered Justin Timberlake in the Social Network. <laughs> uh huh. Like I so, like I'm, I'm just like I guess I just go. Like, I'm like, at the edge of 17, I guess. There is, ah, oh, there's a movie that's just a really silly horror movie, of course, that is about witches in high school, but I cannot remember what it's called. So maybe I will just say, like, Edge of 17. It is not really like these, but it's a good movie set in a high school. Yes. We, as always, we prepared for everything but the recommendations. <laughs> I prepared. But that was, I got lucky. So my recommendation is um, The Virgin Suicides, which is another one of my favorite movies of all time. And it was right. because I was ready with that because we uh, almost covered that instead of yeah. election. <laughs> um, so The Virgin Suicides is directed by Sofia Coppola. It has um, all small blonde white girls in it. But it is a really interesting movie about the the specific sadness that teenage girls experience and the ways in which boys put normal girls on a pedestal i think that i really love the book and i really love this movie adaptation of the book it's kind of got that languid summary feel it's very sad you may um infer from the title but there are multiple suicides in the movie so if that is something that's very triggering to you, maybe don't watch that. But it is this really interesting examination of the way that teenage girls are objectified and perceived, how they are trying to be perceived, how they are trying to move through the world, and how ultimately it doesn't work for them, and how men and boys will turn them into something that they're not. And I really love that movie, so... Highly recommend. You should check it out. I did, like, after some, to be frank, Googling, uh, figure out, like, oh, there are a couple, like, there are two obvious, like, for me, obvious ones that should have come to mind with, like, absurd or satirical high school movies, like Heather's, Jennifer's Body, but it's going to stick. I'm like, The Age of 17, good high school yeah. movie. Heather's is also a good, weird, absurd uh, movie, I mean, <laughs> but I don't think it is... It's, again, a movie that I like, but in the age of actual school shootings happening literally every day, don't feel as comfortable with. Oh, you, you so you think it was a bad idea that they almost made a TV show about it? Oh, so it's one of those things where, like, it was so absurd and satirical in the 80s 
that that would happen and nobody would do anything about it. But now it's real. Similar to elections, actually. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that is a really good suggestion. But, yeah. Um, Is satire just harder these days? I think think it is because our lives are all terrible. (laughs) So, I don't know. Um, Anyway, thank you for listening to Let the Right Films In. Mm -hmm. Um, Next month is October. And I don't know what we're going to do yet because I'm about to be, we're recording this early and I'm about to be traveling. So we might have like two, one episode. No, we'll probably have at least we'll two pro- We'll have at least two because we'll have a proper and we'll have a Salem recap. Um, I would like to do more. At least eight. I will be going on another work trip in October. So that's definitely not going to happen. You fool. Why would you do that? I didn't ask for it. But yeah, so Halloween stuff is coming your way. TBD, <laughs> as always. If you would like to get in contact with us and you need more than 280 characters to do that, you can email us at ltrfipod at gmail.com. If you would like to guest on an episode, that's also probably the easiest way to get a hold of us. We have reached out to a couple of people. It, we have to be a little bit more choosy about where and how we plan guests since it's a once a month thing, so don't take it personally. Yeah, yeah, we'd love to have you all, always, all the time, time allowing. We will be accepting bribes. But we cannot. Um, I will be accepting bribes. If you want to tweet at us, you can tweet at LTRFIPod. Tyler mostly monitors that. I check in on it once every blue moon. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at Tyler Hannon. I am still currently not using Twitter, so if you'd like to keep updated on my life, you can follow me on Instagram at Personal Maps. We now have a Patreon. I fucked it up so bad the last episode no, you did a that great. I'm not even going to attempt to tell you what the rewards are, but they are now all listed on the Patreon page. So you can go to patreon.com slash LTRFIPod. We have tiers as low as $1. If you are for some reason interested in sending us a one-time gift and do not want to set up a monthly recurring, you can please reach out to us at any of the aforementioned social media places and we will tell you how to do that as I do not want to give out my personal email on the podcast. We'll set up a drop-off point for the cash. Yes. Uh, stuff. It'll be quick and dirty. <laughs> but yeah, uh, the, the Patreon is just a way for us to cover the expenses of our streaming services, to cover movie rentals. Um, I have agreed insanely that if we get $100 a month, I will go to a haunted house where people are allowed to touch me. And live there for 30 days. No. We will record a cute little episode about it. Mm-hmm. Tyler can do some, we can do some field recordings because I have an iPhone. See, I've never been to one of those haunted houses. I have not, most of my friends that live in the area don't like haunted houses. If we were and to so somehow. I'm deprived of haunted houses. If we were to somehow get an insane gift of like $500, I would literally go to that four story Erebus place oh, where they Jesus. make you pee your pants in Kayla, Pontiac. It, $400 is, or whatever is not worth dying over. I, I've. I'm willing to do this for our art. <laughs> no one's going to give us $500. It's fine. But um, find a way. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, those are all things that you can do to support us. We really appreciate that you have stuck around and waited for us to come back after this long break. Um, and, yeah. So, we will see you for Halloween festivities. And, as always. You know where I ate lunch. You know where I ate lunch. Yeah.
uh, we should probably stop making podcasts because that's the blank check name. <laughs> it's, it's good. Kayla, Kayla, we have to do the podcast. Kayla, we won't be able to hear you on the floor. You must stand up. I'll just up. do it from down here. <laughs> She'll lay down. Is that where you live now? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> hello. You're listening to Let the Right Films In, a podcast about uh, heightened experiences in high school uh, that make for fairly entertaining movies. Yeah, that's it. We'll Is that really how you're going to introduce it? Nope, no, okay. I don't think so. I was like, you kind of just like, <laughs> we trailed off of a sentence and started talking. It's so like, I what if sure we if like were being serious. the vibe of a cold open kind with of, an actual introduction? It's kind of a cold open in that you can tell we were talking about something before. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, wait. Ben has replied in the comments, you watched it two years ago. Oh, he finished it for the first time. Right, because I'm usually really bad about doing that. So I can do it. No, no, I, I, I have to learn to do this. I can do it, Kayla. Wow, I'm broken. <laughs> I'm broken. <laughs>